Welcome to Beyond the Pillion. This is episode four, and today we are talking about buying a second-hand bike. My name is Kahiwa Sabaya. I use she, her pronouns, and I am the chaotic one. And my name is Mark Drexler. I use he, him pronouns, and I put the ill in lane filtering. <laughs> yes. Sorry, I had to get that one in. Excellent. Uh, we will start today... Uh, um, also by acknowledging that we are recording this podcast on the traditional lands of the Ghana people and to pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Thank you very much. And today, uh, today, used bikes. Kahiwa, what yes. are we talking about with used bikes? Yeah, we're building off a previous episode about buying your first bike. And today we'll be talking specifically about what to look for when you're buying a secondhand bike. Um, mm. I know for me... That was quite a scary proposition, particularly buying my first uh, mm -hmm. bike. Um, not a fan of buying used vehicles in general because it, it's something I don't actually know a lot about vehicles. And so I didn't know what mm -hmm. to look for in order to make sure I was getting a good deal and not buying a lemon. So this is some of the information that um, we've built over the last few years and, and also in your mm. work as well, Mark. Yes, absolutely. Yep, we. Um, I, it's a very common situation that I face where people come into the dealership, they are looking to keep their initial investment on a bike down to a minimum because they don't want to spend big dollars on their first bike because they're not really sure if they want to get into it full on. So they just want something that's that's relatively cheap. So I have these conversations at work a lot. <laughs> Yes. And you know, to be clear, we, we are going to talk today about a little bit of difference between buying through a dealer versus private. Um, and you know, as we've mentioned earlier in previous episodes, there is no right or wrong answer here. Um, mm. There is not any one that is going to be better than any others. Um, as with the idea of just writing in general, our advice is to kind of think about this as just a cost versus risk equation. As a general rule, you are going to pay a higher cost when you're buying from a dealer, but you're going to carry less risk when you buy from a dealer. Mark, did you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I see this a lot from the other side of the fence as well when we are buying secondhand bikes from people who want to sell them to a dealership and they look at the bike and they look at what they think the bike is worth. And I have to have a conversation with them that a part of us buying the bike, even as a dealer, and same as you as individuals, is you're not really buying a motorbike, you are buying a risk. Now, uh, that sounds a scary way of looking at it, but it helps, as Kay was said, everything is on a spectrum Spectrum there. There's no right or wrong answer. There's no absolute zero risk. And mm. there's not too many cases where you're buying 100%, unless you're buying something that is completely a burned out heap, then um, yeah, the, the, it is a sliding scale of risk. And I think the most important thing coming into this is understanding how much risk you're willing to take and being able to spot what those risks are. So just again, these are general rules, general observations. There are no guarantees in life other than what death and taxes is about it. Um, <laughs> other than other than that, yeah, what we're trying to do here is to give you a bit of a, a a bit of a model to think through what some of the risks are when you are spending your money, particularly on your first bike, but it works anytime you're buying well, anything, but particularly secondhand bikes. Sound fair, Kahima? Yeah, and so I wondered, Mike, if you could talk us through what are some of the unique things about um, 
to keep in mind when you are buying a used bike through a dealer? Yeah, um, so you are generally narrowing it down to either buying a bike from a dealer or buying it through the private market. Now, um, when you're buying from a dealer, I think Kahi were introduced it, that generally you are buying a lower risk proposition. Now, something that comes in there is uh, warranties. Now, warranties on second-hand motorbikes, there are, uh, well, there's a couple of things that come into play there. Whenever you buy a new motorcycle, you get what's called a factory warranty. So it's from the maker, like Yamaha, Kawasaki, Honda, whoever, um, that put a warranty onto their bikes. So that carries through for typically one, two, three years or, there, or thereabouts. Uh, once that warranty has expired, then you are falling back to the whatever your local laws are around dealership obligations and laws for a warranty for second-hand bikes. And it does vary. Um, you can get in right into legal legal stuff about what is and what isn't covered. But just make sure you understand what your what your rights are and don't assume that just because you're buying from a dealer then you automatically have a full warranty on everything that mm. uh, everything that you are buying um and the, the the other thing though when you're buying from a dealer is so there's the the legal side of warranties but there is also the in the very uh, generally good days these days of uh, social media and, and public reviews as a dealer um, absolutely go out and have a look at the reviews of the dealer that you are buying from so not all dealers are created equal uh, people are brutally honest with their reviews on things like uh, google reviews facebook reviews anywhere else that you that you might find online reviews go and have a have a read of them uh, yeah um take them as broad stats though so also bear in mind as the same with anything you will get a small proportion of people that no matter how brilliant you are as a dealer that will uh, absolutely pan you no matter what you do just because for whatever reason they see that you are not uh, not up, not up to scratch so look at them broadly take them as something maybe if you see that there's a whole lot of really awful reviews then same as if you were shopping on ebay just take that into mm -hmm. account and into that risk equation anything else i've forgotten on the dealer side there Kay, or any of your experiences that you'd like to share um i think the the, the flip side of that is to think about why we would go to a dealer and you know I know from from my perspective mm -hmm. talking about that buying and selling of risk I might go to a dealer because you know they've made a risk assessment when they purchase a bike or, or agree to sell a bike mm. um, that gives you a modicum of of uh, certainty or confidence that it's not going to be a complete lemon depending on the reputation of the dealer of course um, that you know, that can offer a bit more um, confidence as a purchaser that you're mm. probably going to be um, in a safer place in terms of what you're buying and that can also be a, a really nice way to potentially you know connect in with places for services um, and servicing of the motorbike and if you need any other consumables or other things alongside it that can be a reason mm -hmm. why we might um, want to buy through a dealer um, on the flip side, you know, they, as you said, they, they can cost a little bit more, but dealers have got to make yep. some money. Um, and so that's when you might want to look at buying through private um, because 
usually it can be a little bit cheaper is probably one of the main reasons but mark what's been your experience about buying through private yeah and it absolutely is the place where you are more likely to find a real bargain uh, but that risk equation it is also the place where you can buy something that looks like a bargain that ends up being um, absolutely uh, you know the an, an absolute train wreck of a thing and you have zero recourse at all at least with a dealer even if there's no formal warranty you can go out and make a lot of noise uh, in public forums about what an awful dealer they are if you're buying privately then forget it you have no recourse so if you're doing if you're going down that path I suppose be aware you can grab some bargains you're also carrying more risks so it's very beneficial if you can get uh, somebody who knows what they're talking about when it comes to motorbikes to come along and have uh, and, and be there with you to have a bit of a look on your behalf. And later on, Kahira will talk us through a checklist for mm. things that you can look at that don't need a lot of technical know-how, but things that you can just have a look at and check as a potential buyer. Uh, and one other thing I want to mention because this kind of segues into the, the bulk of what we'll talk about today about that kind of checklist and that evaluation framework for used bikes. But um, when you are buying privately, always, always, always run a background check on the bike through whatever your local, uh, local government agency is that allows you to do a check on whether or not two main things. Um, one, whether there is finance owing on the bike. Uh, number two, has the bike been recorded as a write-off because it's been in a serious accident? And actually three, I'll add another, another one in there that the bike is not registered as, as being stolen. So in Australia, you can done that. You can do it for about $2 through a government run website. Now just do a search for PPSR, uh, which is something, something securities register. Uh, but yeah, in most countries, you would, you should be able to have access to an online register that will be able to tell you because if you don't do that, and particularly if you then buy a bike and you find out that there is finance owing on that bike and the person who owned it before you has not paid their bills, then the bike can be uh, taken by the finance company that, that owes money on it. When you're buying from a dealer, dealers will be doing all that as a part of their risk assessment before they bring a bike into stock. But if you're buying privately, just absolutely, absolutely make sure you run the background check however you can to make sure that it has what's called a clear title. And I think mm. those are the two main things for buying for buying privately before we get into uh, before we get into the checks here. Um, I agree with that thought about having a list of checks. Yes, absolutely. I think um, it can be really easy to get daunted um, and be a bit overwhelmed when you are buying a bike, particularly if it's buying mm. a first bike or haven't had too much experience. Um, yeah, even just the that difference of talking buying through a dealer or through the private market, yeah, that can start to feel a bit overwhelming. There's a lot of things to think about. Is is a lot of risk. Mm. We're talking about managing risk. Um, but so what we wanted to do is to put together a few basic things that you can check that don't necessarily require deep technical or mechanical knowledge. Um, they're things that um, you can just have in the back of your mind to help weigh up and make a decision about, is this the right bike for you? 
is this a level of risk that you're willing to take on? Um, because of course that, that question of, of risk and level that it's going to be different for everybody, um, mm. as with everything else that we've shared so far. So Definitely. we want to, yeah, to share a bit of a list about things you can check on the bike whenever you might go to inspect it or have a look. Um, and keep in mind that you know, this might be relevant for some bikes and, and, and not for others, but generally speaking, these might be things you want to keep in mind. Uh, and, Absolutely. Uh, Mark, you had, a, you had a, a question here about the difference between kind of what you can see and what people might talk to you about. Yeah. Um, regardless of whether you are buying uh, from a dealer or buying privately, just make sure that you keep in your mind the, the the body of evidence before you in terms of what you can see in the way of the actual bike itself or the documentation that goes with the bike versus what a person is telling you. And I say that mm. regardless of who they are and, and who they're representing. Um, but uh, yeah, you can have someone who is standing there saying, yep, the bike has a, a full service history. It's like, well, okay, if it does, where are the records? And if they say there are none, then you know, possibly the person is a mechanic themselves and they have been doing all of the work on it themselves and not keeping any receipts. I've got a couple of bikes like that in, in my collection or one in particular in my collection that would fall into that category. Um, but without that evidence, uh, then you are very much taking the word of the person there. So again, it's just a thing if, if someone is telling you something but the evidence doesn't necessarily support that, then just add that into your mental checklist of, of risks that go along with the bike. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, as Kahiwa said, there is a list of things that you can have either written down or in the back of your mind or however, however you want to do it when you do go and, and inspect a, a bike that, you, uh, that you're thinking of buying and for that matter, even before you get there. To, to sort of start assessing it from what you can see on the on the advertisements for it. And you don't need a huge amount of technical knowledge to be able to do it. Kahiwa, tell us some of the things. Yeah, the, I think the first one um, that can be quite obvious, again, it's almost always listed if you're looking at online adverts, um, is how many kilometres um, has the bike mm. done? Um, this is one yep. of the biggest predictors of risk when you're buying secondhand. Ideally, in general, the lower the kilometres, the better, um, even if it might mm -hmm. mean that you're paying a little bit more. But going hand in hand with that is a history of, of services and servicing. But going hand in hand with that is a service history. Um, and this is really important um, that you make sure that you ask about the service history and ideally, as Mark was talking about before, getting evidence that it has been done. The more kilometers a bike has done, the more risk there is. Um, however, if it's been um, serviced regularly and appropriately in line with the manufacturer's guides, then that lowers the risk somewhat because that kind of indicates mm. that the previous owner or owners have really taken care of the bike um, and that it's more likely to be in a good condition. Um, mm. And so when there's no service history, this just further increases the risk um, of the quality of the bike being a bit unknown. Mm -hmm. um, Mark, I think the question, you get asked the question quite a bit about how many Ks is a lot. I know that's a question I often see yeah. in online forums as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, people buying secondhand bikes, maybe they've bought cars secondhand before and they know a bit about that and they say, well, 
how many kilometers is, is, is a lot of kilometers on the bike. So, um, Firstly, just backing up what Kay was said, if a bike has a full service history, then you are hugely reducing the risks. Motorbike mm. engines are small, that they're a lot smaller than a car. Their, particularly their oil tends to do a lot more work than what it does in a car. And an engine can deteriorate a lot faster than a car if it's not well looked after. In terms of how many Ks is, is too many Ks, uh, in motorbike terms, you're sort of talking tens of thousands of kilometres when you are looking. So, um, yeah, for, for example, anything that has 100,000 kilometres, particularly if it's a learner-approved bike, 100,000 kilometres doesn't sound much on a car, but on a motorbike, unless it's a big capacity motorbike, which you won't be on to start with, then that is a, that is a very, very high number of, uh, of kilometres. Ideally, if you were looking at a small learner-approved bike, like a, you know, somewhere between 150 to three, four hundred cc's, then ideally you'd be looking for something that's, you know, sort of less than 20, 30,000 k's. If mm. it was anything more than that, then you would really want to be making sure that you have got a good, solid service history with it. And any, any time you're getting up you know, 40, 50, 60,000 beyond on anything like that, you are buying a bike that not only has a lot of wear on engine on the engine, but it's going to have a lot of wear on all of the other components. So um, when we're talking about bargains, you might find a bike that, you know, it looks like very cheap and it's, it's a two grand bike, but it's done 60,000 Ks. And then you can buy that bike and you can find very quickly that you can rack up another, <laughs> another $2,000, $3,000 in work that needs to be done to it to get it up to spec. And then you're sitting there looking at it saying, oh yeah, maybe I just should have bought the more expensive one with no Ks on it. So yes, that's, yeah. th there's an answer to the question about kilometers. And I think connecting in with that um, really closely is the surface history and that often mm. um, motorbikes will have a particular set um, thing that needs to be done at a certain number of kilometres and mm -hmm. it can be really useful to just do a really quick uh, search online for that particular model and the service history or the, the service mm. or order. What's, what's the word for it? Uh, service service, service schedule or service intervals. Servicing schedule yes. is another one, another one you'll find it under. Very good point. Um, and yeah, and particularly in that between uh, the bikes that we've looked at, anywhere between kind of 20 and, and 50,000 kilometers is often a significant service that gets scheduled. Um, and so it can mm. be a really useful thing to have a look at. Has this bike had, for example, if there's something scheduled at 50,000 Ks and it's done 55,000, has it had that big one done? Um, yes. Because that could be, you know, a certain amount of money that you are going to need to spend as soon as you buy it. Um, and that can be really useful uh, as part of a conversation with a dealer. <laughs> as someone who didn't check that when they bought their most recent used bike and then had to go back in and pay money. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. Um, asking all of those things, again, regardless of who you're buying from, understanding is the bike coming up for service and is that service one of the big ones, which mm. if they haven't got the books with it, then you can research all that stuff online. And it is some of those larger services can be in Australian dollars, you know, a thousand dollar service if they are a proper big service where a whole bunch of different things need to be done. So as you say, okay, be aware. So yeah. what, what else have we got on the list? Well, that, that leads us into uh, the next point on there is um, ideally wanting to see 
uh, the original keys and the original book. So the books will have um, mm. the service schedule and should ideally have the service history to date. Um, mm -hmm. And the original keys, ideally kind of one and possibly a spare. Um, and this can mm. be useful because motorbike keys can be expensive to get cut, particularly some of the newer, uh, more modern uh, mm. models where the keys are actually linked to a computer on the bike. Having the master key to be able to cut other bikes from is really, really, really useful um, mm. in order to kind of get some spares. Absolutely. And just to give an indication building on that, if you have a bike that has a chip in the key which is matched to the computer that sits within the motorbike, and you lose all your keys and you don't have a master key, then worst case, you are up to replace uh, the computer that runs the engine on the motorbike to get uh, that replaced as well as keys. You are going to be up for potentially a couple of thousand worth. So it is absolutely an important one to find out. Does the bike have keys that have security chips in them? And if they are, is the master key as a part of the deal? Mm. The, the fourth thing um, that we think is really useful to keep in mind uh, is thinking about modifications and spares uh -huh. or original parts. So in most cases, less is more when it comes to modifications. Yes, um, yeah, Having a, a whole eBay shopping cart of you know, multicolored bling and, and shiny things uh. doesn't necessarily make the bike more valuable, even though we know yeah, someone might have spent a significant amount of money on it. That doesn't necessarily equate to value when it's being sold. And it can actually make it a bit harder to sell. So if you are looking at a bike that does have a number of modifications, um, it's really important or really useful to check to see if the original parts come with the bike. Um, and mm. if they don't, then it's worth asking the question if this means that the original parts might have been damaged, which can be a mm. bit of an indication of the care and, and just the history of the bike itself. But take that with a grain of salt. You might never really know. Um, someone might have added yep. things onto the bike and just not known that they should have kept the originals. Absolutely. And that comes back to that question of the evidence before you. If you see a bike that has a whole lot of things replaced, uh, particularly on, and we'll talk about spots where bikes get easily damaged, but engine covers, levers, handlebars, any extremity of the bike that's been replaced by aftermarket gear um, could be because the person who owned it just really loves that anodized blue color of blingy stuff that you can put, or gold. <laughs> I've seen some with gold. Um, lots and lots of gold on bikes some people just really love it other people it's because if a bike has an accident even if that's just falling off a side stand and does some damage to those bits then often it can be cheaper to buy you know, a, a 20 dollars part on ebay compared to a hundred dollar genuine part to replace it with so it's not a definitive but very much agree with Kahi with the closer you can keep a bike to original when it comes resale time um, the better it is and if not then at least please please box up all of your original bits keep them in the shed label them up clearly and make it clear in your ad that everything is there available for the next buyer if they want to return it to an unmolested condition as we call it mm. That's a definitely a pro tip if you are wanting to make modifications for your own bike. Yeah, 
keep all the original parts, keep them safe, um, and you know, then you've got them to potentially sell uh, with the bike if you go down that path later. But keep that in mind to as much as possible. It's useful to be able to see the originals um, if the bike has any modifications on it. The next thing um, that we kind of bundled up a little bit are things like consumables. There are three things that can really add a fair bit of extra cost to the purchase of a new bike um, because they're often things that need to be replaced um, pretty regularly uh, and they also naturally wear out over time. So they're not necessarily an indication that a bike hasn't been well cared for. Um, can potentially kind of connect into it. So the first of those is the tires. Um, it's really important to make sure that they still have tread left on them. Um, you know, technically shouldn't be riding a bike if the tread uh, on a tire has worn down, but yeah, some people choose to live on the edge. Um, yeah, but as a really basic common sense, thing, please don't. <laughs> yeah, please as a don't. as a. As a really basic thing, if the tires are bald or if there's a big flat line down the center, then they're going to need replacing. Mm. You can also check the age of the tires. There's those little numbers on it as well. Um, yeah, wanting to- Which we, yeah. hmm? we, we might, might do that. I was just gonna say, maybe that, that'll be a video one we might do later about how to, how to tell uh, the codes on your tires to understand how mm. old they are. Mm. Yeah, and, and so generally speaking, yeah, you kind of don't want to be driving around, riding around on a bike with tyres that are you know, 10, 12 years old. Uh, but regardless, if the tyres are going to need replacing, that's you know, potentially several hundred dollars for a pair. So uh, mm -hmm. that becomes a, an additional risk and, and should feed into the cost of the overall value of the bike that you're looking at. The second one um, in terms of consumables is looking at the chain and sprockets. Now, I don't know much about those, Mark. Do you want to talk about that a bit more? <laughs> yeah, yep. Um, so, I mean, chain and sprockets are pretty much the same as if you had a push bike. There's one at the front, which hooks up to uh, hooks up to the engine. There's one at the rear, which is what connects it to the rear wheel and provides the drive from the engine to the rear wheel. And over time, they will wear out. Now, how long before they wear out is a real how long is a piece of string because it depends on how well the owner looks after them. And when we get into mm. maintenance later on, you'll hear me reading you all out there and Kahi with a right act about looking <laughs> after your chain in particular because you can destroy a chain in a few thousand kilometres and sprockets in a few thousand kilometres if you don't take care of it. So how do you spot uh, chain and sprockets if they're worn? So the easiest way is just have a look at the at the general conditions. So if it's caked in crud, if it's if it's dry, if it's looking rusty, if it's just caked in gunge and you can't actually see anything metal, um, if it looks loose enough that you can move it anything more than perhaps three centimetres up and down in the middle part of the chain where it sort of hangs down a little bit, little bit from the bottom, um, then you might want to get a second opinion to say, does that chain just need a damn good clean or is that is that chain on, on the way out? And just another thing to note is it's very rare when you're that you just replace a chain. It's almost or the it's almost exclusively the case that when you do a chain, you will do a chain and both sprockets 
because when one of them wears, they all tend to wear. So you will mm. almost always replace them as a set because you're just asking for trouble if you don't. Um, when you're looking at the rear sprocket, so very often you won't be able to see the front sprocket because it's tucked away behind a little cover. But the rear one on the back wheel of the bike, have a look at the shape of the teeth on that sprocket. Assuming that they're not caked in gunge. If they're caked in gunge, okay, then you have a problem. If they're lovely and clean, but you have a look at them and they look um, asymmetrical. So rather than being a nice, clean, symmetrical U-shape, it looks like one side of that U in each, uh, uh, each of the teeth is kind of worn away. Or if the teeth look the shape of shark fins rather than nice, uh, defined defined sprockets, then odds are that means that you are up for a replacement. And again, that's going to be a replacement of both uh, of both sprockets and your chain. And you're going to be up for, to get that done by a workshop, you're going to be up for a few hundred bucks to get that done. Mm. So that's chain yep. and sprockets. We'll talk more about that. Chain later. and sprocket, tyres, mm. chain and sprockets. Um, and the, and the, the last thing... Uh, the last kind of consumable there is looking at the brake disc. So mm. assuming that the bike is cold so that you don't actually burn your fingers, um, then what you want to do is run your finger across the flat, shiny surfaces of the brake discs on both the front and the back. And what you're looking for is mm -hmm. that they feel nice and smooth and there's not much in the way of grooves. If you're familiar with uh, ye olde um, records, uh, we're looking for something that's not that. <laughs> if it does feel mm. like that, then that's a bit of an indicator that um, it hasn't been cared for. And so once again, yeah, that's a, a fair few hundred dollars to replace potentially. Um, and it's a, an indicator Absolutely. that overall, has this bike been kept in good condition um, or is this one that may have been ridden and potentially not uh, not shown too much love, which increases mm. the risk um, of the quality of the bike that you're buying. And that on. brings us to um, thinking about damage to the bike. So that was looking at consumables, yep. things that we might be able to notice. Um, but there are particular places where we can look for actual damage to the bike that can increase the risk. And we're looking ideally for the absence of that. Um, mm. They're not always easy to pick, are they, Mark? No, they're, they're not. As I, as we hinted earlier, uh, bikes that are, that have been in accidents, if they're minor accidents, and a lot of motorbike accidents are, are very minor ones, then most of the bits that end up being damaged can, uh, can be replaced. And sometimes it can be really difficult to spot when a bike has been down, um, and particularly for learner bikes. So here's a little, little tip for learners, and I'm thinking of um, one possible listener out there who had their bike for a couple of days before they had uh, a mishap like this. Uh, you you are almost certainly going to end up with your bike on its side mm -hmm. at some point mm -hmm. during your early learning experience. It happens to mm. pretty much everyone. And it's good to get it out of the way early because at least then you will know <laughs> what it's like and you can then know what to do not to do it. Right, Kahiwa? <laughs> Yes. Uh, Go on, tell uh, us, tell second, us, tell us about yours. My my second bike, um, the R three. Uh, I was reversing it down a little bit of hill of the of the driveway, round the corner onto the other part of the driveway, uh, and 
lo and behold, going too fast probably uh, and just didn't have control. And, yeah, he tipped and crunched, I think, on the edge of the um, handlebars and also crunched one of the pegs, the foot pegs, I think. Yes, um, yes, that's correct. And a little bit of scritchy scratches on the end of the mirror as well. Um, so that was embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> took a took a little second to to calm down, but I am I'm quite proud to say I got that bike up myself. Actually, um, very very happy mm. with that. But what what you saw when we got the bike back up was some little scratches on the edges of the handlebar. Replace the foot peg. Some little scratches on the mirror ends, mm -hmm. and yeah, those are. Those are those are pretty common places to have, you know, drops or, or maybe falls, I think, is a possibly a more accurate description for what happened there. Um, as opposed to something that might be a bit more serious. But all of these bits are they're pretty cheap to replace. Um, and generally yeah. speaking, if all you can see are are little scratches or marks on things like the brake and the clutch levers, the mirrors, the bar ends, the foot pegs, the pedals. You probably don't need to worry too much about those. Um, what you yeah. want to keep an eye out for more serious things are things like damage to the fairings or the fuel tanks, mm -hmm. the engine casing, um, or to the frame as well, or marks that look longer um, across any of those things. They can be a bit more expensive to replace um, is the first part, but also they can indicate that the bike has been in a bigger a more serious collision or incident. Um, and this is often um, yeah, something that might cause a bike to be written off by an insurance company. Yeah. Um, so particularly damage to the frame. Um, so just be be careful if you see any damage to the frame. And I know we we went looking at one bike and noticed they had um, they had different fairings on. Um, we could see mm -hmm. that they were second hand or aftermarket fairings on the bike. I thought oh, that's interesting. Yeah, they're nice nice looking fairings. They all look smooth. And then looked a little bit closer, saw some significant damage to the frame and a few other things, which started to indicate to us that actually possibly this bike had been in a pretty serious incident and they'd replaced the fairings um, in order to make it look good. <laughs> um, but I think we ended up saying, yeah, no, thank you to that bike. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks. But no, thanks. And that was as we like, we keep coming back to risk management. Mm. Uh, and that's a great example of where possibly, even though that bike had potentially been in a larger accident, it might have been absolutely fine. But it was yeah. looking at it and saying that is carrying a risk because I really don't know how hard this thing was slid down the road or crashed into something. And there was a higher risk there that, yeah, this is um, that this is going to end up having lots more problems. And yeah, damage to the frame and damage to the forks. Uh, well, damage to the frame, as Kay was already said, that is the one thing that can, if you've got a, a frame that is bent has had a significant impact is deeply scratched or marked you know little tiny nicks probably fine but anything there where there's damage to the frame as a rule of thumb just walk away it's just not worth not worth the risk mm -hmm. but those are um 
indicators of damage to the bike um you know mm -hmm. things that are a little bit less serious and things that are a bit more serious that you want to keep an eye out for and then there are things that are really just about the overall condition of the bike that will give you an indicator about how well mm. it's being cared for and therefore kind of how much risk you're wearing in terms of the overall quality and, and standard of the bike um, so a couple of the things these are things that i'm probably a little bit better at spotting um, but things like mm -hmm. rust um, which by itself mm. you know, isn't necessarily a problem but it can be an indicator where the bike has lived you know possibly out in the rain um, or near kind of ocean or seawater um, which can start to again kind of signal that maybe there are some other things kind of happening or it might need some work in the in the future mm. um, the second thing um, in terms of overall condition is about I suppose just dirt and you mentioned on looking at the chain and the sprockets looking for mud or gunge or other things if you're seeing dirt and, and more than just kind of dust from riding it but you know actual kind of dirt and mm. mud and stuff this indicates that potentially you know just a general overall lack of care which could then extend to things like servicing and maintenance which if you're in a situation where there isn't the evidence of a service history things like these might then start to say i'm not sure if i'm actually going to uh believe this person potentially hmm. um and that they've actually done the service history what are some mm -hmm. of the other overall condition things mark uh, i think you've you've probably nailed a couple of the uh, the, the two most important ones another little telltale thing is looking to see if as dumb as this is going to sound um are there are there spiders living in the bike are there cobwebs all tucked away inside the fairings um, if there are then it's usually indicative that the bike has not been used for a while and possibly just been um well firstly not cared for and secondly possibly sitting without being ridden if you have a motorbike that hasn't been ridden for an extended period of time the longer a bike's not ridden for then potentially the more likelihood there is you're going to need a service the potentially more uh, rubber little rubber fittings and bearings and hoses and things like that are going to harden up because they're not being regularly used and yeah you would want to factor that in if uh, yeah if there's spiders living in it then probably a, a follow-up question is when was the last time you rode the bike and if mm. they say, oh, yeah, it hasn't, I, I haven't taken it out in two years, then, okay, assume you'll be factoring in a full service for quite a few hundred dollars because you will want to take that straight to a mechanic, whether you're doing it yourself or someone else, and changing probably all of the fluids in the thing if it's been sitting for a year or two and really giving it a, a complete freshen up to make sure it's ready to rock and roll. Um Mm -hmm. And it's it's also worth worth noting here that motorbikes, unlike cars, motorbikes aren't really designed to be left sitting outside in the elements for, you know, through multiple winters, particularly if you are in areas anywhere near the ocean. So they are they're, they're delicate little flowers, um, <laughs> as a rule of thumb, and they are much more susceptible to to just decaying really really quickly if they're not if they've not been looked after so 
the best bet is to uh, buy your motorbike from an absolute clean freak who treats it like one of their children slash pets and ideally lets it live inside the house. So if you can find one of those where um, you know you have somebody who is quite clearly fanatical about looking after their bike, then that is um, shows a level of commitment that is likely meaning that the that the bike is going to be very well cared for throughout its life and on the whole that reduces reduces your risk in terms of the purchase reduces not eliminates but it's mm. usually if it's been if it's been well cared for um, and clearly has been nicely looked after then yeah generally that shows that uh, that that people are are you know that they care for their bike and you would be stunned at the number of bikes that i see every day in my work that i look at them and i think wow what why own a bike and let it be neglected as badly as you have when it's an asset worth you know five ten fifteen twenty thousand dollars worth um and go out and have a look and the chain is completely rusty and almost dragging on the ground and it's like the, Anyway, I won't get ranty because I'll get ranty about maintenance in another podcast that we'll do later. But that's probably on the visuals <laughs> of just checking over. And a lot of these things, as we've said, you don't need a huge amount of technical knowledge mm. to be able to do those things. Um, you just need a good, keen pair of eyes and uh, to know what you should be looking for before you even get near starting the bike. And yep. in starting the bike, Kahiwa, tips and tricks. You're there, you've had a look, everything looks like it should be okay. Now it's time to start it. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the obvious thing, assuming you are buying a bike that you intend to ride, which maybe you're buying a bike for collecting purposes or similar, um, does it actually start? And does it run as you'd mm -hmm. expect it to? So noting that different engines might sound a little bit different when they're at idle um, versus when they're kind of, on the road or at, at higher revs ideally it should sound healthy it should sound good um this can be a, a time when if you're not familiar with with bikes too much you might want to get a friend involved um just to kind of be mm. there and give you another um, opinion about how well the engine is sounding when it starts um, and if you don't have yeah. that then that might be a sign to buy from a, a reputed reputable dealer or dealer that you trust um, in order to reduce that risk um, mm -hmm. and if it does start then you know, uh, often you probably want to be able to take it for a test ride this this can be pretty tricky as a brand new rider so again mm. if you're just on your L's your learner's permit or haven't quite got there yet um, you might want to bring a friend who can take the bike for a ride while you're kind of there talking to the current owner um, and i found this really helpful when we're first buying my bike i had my learner's permit but mm -hmm. i was still a little bit anxious on jumping on someone else's bike when i was new if you were here for the previous episode heard that i dropped the <laughs> first bike i took on a test yes. ride <laughs> So the second one we went out for, um, uh, Mark took that for a test ride for me because I was very much nervous again. Um, yeah. And I, I think when when you do take things for a test ride, it's, it's pretty normal for um, for a seller to be hesitant, um, I think, to offer a test ride. Absolutely. Unless you yeah. are absolutely committed. I think 
in my opinion, it should be the last the last thing. It's like, yes, everything else checks off my list. It's the the kind of price point that I want. Um, all of the other checks that we've talked about um, are met. I've got answers that mean, yep, I still want to purchase this. Um, that test ride is probably best to think of it as the the kind of final hurdle. Does it actually feel good when I'm on the bike? Does it sound and feel like the um, quality of bike that I've kind of understood based on all of the other questions? Um, and I think when we took some bikes for a test ride, buying secondhand privately, um, mm -hmm. you know, left left a, a license. Um, with with one of the people um, and yeah. because we went out as so the two of us had one person staying behind as well so trying to also give mm -hmm. the seller a little bit of certainty and security that we were trustworthy buyers um, as well yeah it is I think very beneficial if you can take someone even if they're not an expert in bikes but at least uh, somebody who is confident enough that they can jump on it, take it for a, take it for a quick blocky and at mm. least be able to spot, you know, does the thing vibrate to hell as soon as you go above 40 k's an hour? Does it have brakes that feel like they're working? Does it make any weird, scary sounds from the, from the motor? Um, you know, you are still buying a risk and uh, if the person who's helping you doesn't get it completely right i've had to do this once um to say to them you know that's okay i didn't expect you to be perfect but at least you again you helped lower that risk threshold so mm. yeah um but yeah agree with everything you say so so takeaways then Kaiba. yeah i think as you've probably heard i think from our perspective you know buying a secondhand bike is really just about risk management um mm that there's no right or wrong answer. There's no threshold of kilometers or age or, or whatever. It's all about just having having a look, trying to understand as much as possible about the bike. Um, and hopefully that checklist of a few things to keep an eye out for or to ask about um, will help you have a little bit more confidence trying to reduce the risk the next time you're going out mm. to look at a bike um, but also might just help you understand what are your personal thresholds am i willing to um take on a bike without service history um because i you know, i've got confidence around that or i've got connections with a dealer or a really good mechanic and i'm confident that would be able to sort that out um or I might be in a position where it's like, no, if there's no service history, that's a clear no from me because uh, that's not a level of risk that I'm willing to wear. So hopefully um, with these these kind of things to keep in mind, these questions to ask, these things to look for, um, be a little bit more confident going out and buying your next secondhand bike. Is there anything else you wanted to add, Mark? No, I think you have absolutely nailed it on that one. Uh, which then I think leads us into next episode. So next episode, we are going to talk about riding to stay alive. So we hinted, <laughs> I think, in maybe our first podcast that no doubt if you have got your license or thinking of getting your license, you will have heard the horror stories from people. You will hear them from well-meaning friends trying to uh, make you realise what a dumb thing that you are doing in getting your motorbike licence. Um, so what we're going to talk about next time is the the art, I think, the art and science possibly of riding to stay alive. So stay tuned, come back and have a listen for the next one. Kahiwa? 
So until next time, we hope that you ride safe and have fun and come back soon. And this is Beyond the Pillion with your hosts, Kahiwa Sabai and Mark Drexler. Find us on Instagram and YouTube as Beyond the Pillion. Leave a comment to let us know what you'd like to know more about. And if you liked us, remember to rate, review and subscribe or share this episode with a friend. It really helps other people find the podcast.